0: Welcome to the Finding the Magic podcast, where books come alive. I'm Tricia Copeland, a fiction author and host of this show. If you love books, finding great reads, and hearing about the story behind the story directly from the authors, this is the place for you. Whether you like fantasy, science fiction, dystopian, or romance titles, I think you'll find something to love in my playlist. Listen in to discover something magical about a book or two today Today we are welcoming author Parker J Cole. Welcome Parker. Hi, how's it going? It's good to be here. Thank you. And I had the pleasure of meeting in person Parker this past summer at the Deadwood reads event so that was very exciting I'd seen Parker online and we crossed paths a couple of times online but um yeah it was super cool to meet you in person
1: oh yeah it was really cool because Deadwood Wild the Wild Deadwood Reads conference there were so many different authors there from so many different genres and you just felt the camaraderie in the room and I love how Ginger and Linda really pulled that event together they do such a great job
0: yeah, that was my first time being there. So I was super excited to meet everyone. It just felt like a big family, like you said.
1: Yeah, and I'll be there again this next year. I already booked our room and we got a suite this time. My girlfriend, Lynn and I, we have a suite because I I go to her house during that week of the conference and then we drive all the way to South Dakota for the conference. So, yeah. Okay, yeah. I. Where are you coming from? So I'm in Michigan. Right. And then I traveled to Lynn, hang out with her, her hubs for like a week or so. And then that's our tradition is to go to Deadwood. So that's what we've been doing.
0: Yeah, I had a bit of a drive up from Colorado as well, but I'd never been there. So it was really pretty for me to see that part of Wyoming and northern South Dakota. So That was fun.
1: I love the, I love the scenery there because we don't have that in Michigan because Michigan's all flatland trees and all that good stuff. So seeing the mountains and the valleys and some of the arid places, just absolutely incredible. Lots of good stuff for writers who are very textural.
0: Yes, definitely beautiful mountain views and you feel like you're wrapped in the mountain town. So, yes. Let's jump in and talk about your book. Tell us what kind of author you are. Um, more about your books and your titles and a little bit about each one, if you can.
1: Well, I can't go over each one because I have 40 out. Have okay, 40 okay, well, out, we so don't I won't have go through long. each one. <laughs> I won't go through each one, but I'll tell you some of the more popular ones that really catch people's attention. But before I do that, I do want to say that I am a historical romance novelist. I do write for the faith-based community as well as I have now marketed off into the general market community which has been a really really exciting and for those who knows what that means i got a contract with harlequin which is a dream come true and Mm -hmm. so i write for their historical line and my first book comes out for harlequin september 27th it's called the duke's defiant cinderella and it takes place during louis louis the 15th time period so right before Marie Antoinette, before she gets her head cut off. So it takes <laughs> place during that time. So that's my general market one. And then my faith-based one that I just released is called A Chance for Genevieve. It's a um, it's a spinoff of a mail-order groom series that I did with a bunch of authors in what's called a multiple author project. And it's a spinoff from that series. And it's doing really well. I'm so pleased about the response I've received from that book. So- if you want to know about me, I would suggest anyone pick up my writing because I do have eclectic taste. And as I get better at this thing called writing, I do see myself branching off into either more into even more different genres as well. Neat. Well,
0: I think congratulations, first of all, on your Harlequin release coming out in September and as well as your newest release, Something Genevieve.
1: Sorry, I was
0: listening. <laughs> oh, no, no.
1: A Chance for Genevieve. A Chance, a chance for, for Genevieve. Genevieve. And I yeah. think I
0: saw that um, that one at Wild Deadwood. So, yes, I really like historical pieces because as an author, I love researching them. And then as a reader, I love like just being encompassed and surrounded by the time period. And um, I love when authors can give me detail about what it looks like and when they're dressed and how they spoke and... In their culture, do you do tons of research
1: for your? I love doing research for my books because it gets me away from the current time period. In one of my books called *The Butcher's Daughter*, that one actually has a special place in my heart because it was inspired by a nonfiction book by a woman named Carla Peterson. She's a professor at Yale and she was researching her family history. At the time I was looking for a segment of history that I can showcase people of color who were in the antebellum period without being slaves. And so I went to New York City and from her book I went to New York City and I created a fictional world of people of color. Based off the real world, there are people of color who were um, free because they had been um, gradually ma- um, uh, free during slavery times. And so they were highly educated. They had money, not like their millionaire counterparts, but they had money, highly educated. And so that's that one actually has a special place in my heart. And I did so much research, Trisha. One of the things that I found out was that to get a cab, which would be a horse and a buggy cab, not the cabs nowadays, obviously, 25 cents. But if I really wanted to get like a fast cab, 50 cents. And and I was kind of sitting there like, oh my goodness, a quarter really went a long way. Could get you a ride in a car, you know, (laughs) technically speaking. And then I learned about for the women, they wore everyday silk. So they had everyday silk. So your dresses were made out of silk, which is probably the most, Invigorating part of the research is looking up the clothes because clothes tell the story of history itself. If you were to look at the clothes from let's say 1740s and look at the clothes from the 1800s, you can tell that in the 1740s, it was highly decadent, ostentatious. This is before the French Revolution. And then after French Revolution, they they went back to a more simpler time, more Grecian, more ancient simplicity because they wanted to get away from the past decadence of the age and so that's why I love looking up fashions of the era particularly women's fashions because it's amazing women wore all that stuff
0: yeah I'm not sure that I could have made it
1: then (laughs) like I know, right? Like, it's hot. I am not wearing eight layers of clothes. It's not happening. (laughs) No wonder they were just sitting around fanning themselves all day. They couldn't do anything else. And they sound, they would go, oh, your voice sounds so wispy. It's because she can't breathe. She's wearing a corset (laughs) to give her a 16-inch waist. That's why she can't breathe. I know you're familiar with the woman who has the smallest waist in the world. It's like 12 inches and she wears a corset. Oh, yeah, it was ridiculous. You should check it out. It's absolutely ridiculous.
0: (laughs) I think I did look that up in like the Guinness World World Book or maybe had a Guinness World Book of Records for back in the day when we had those physical things. And I think I remember going through the pages and seeing that and thinking that was just like totally freaky. Oh,
1: yeah, for sure. You're sitting there going, no. Just, just no, it's it's interesting to see, but that's what I like about research being a historical romance novelist. And I love exploring history through the vehicle of romance. I think romance is a wonderful genre to explore interpersonal relationships and to also capture the era, because let's say if you were um, for, in one of my books, I have a uh, freed uh, slave, but he still has issues from being a slave. And I have a young lady who, she was a slave herself, but she ran away to freedom, but she was raised by a different um, people group. And so what happens, she has more of an equality sense while he doesn't. And so now you got these two people clashing together in their belief systems. And so that was real fun. Um, I just released that one. That one is called A Match for Bernadette, which is a mail order bride series. Also part of an M.A.P. So, case when people know about that multiple author program. Just quote or asterisk right there. That's so interesting. So,
0: did the male character believe he was not equal or lower in value to the?
1: It's just that he completely distrusted people because okay. of his time on the plantation, and he was ra- um, when he came out of out of slavery. He was raised from a different. Um, perspective. And she was raised from a different perspective because she was raised by the Quakers and he was raised by the Presbyterians. Not that that's a really big deal in real life, but they were both raised separately. But the Quakers had a whole idea about equality and the Presbyterians had a different idea. So when they meet their love story, they clash, they conflict, you know, they crash together. So that was really fun writing that. And then and when I write historical romance, that's just the important thing is to really highlight the couple, really highlight the romance. And then hopefully you learn something along the way. That's really neat.
0: My most recent release that comes out tomorrow actually is set in the Aztec empire in 1820s, 1921, um, is when it kind of culminates. But I had a lot of fun researching their culture and learning that in their culture, like men and women were considered equal, um, there were different classes of working people. They had slaves as well as like indentured servants um, and then the working class. And then they had the kings and then they had the priests and the shaman. But it was so interesting to me that they didn't differentiate between men and women. So I thought that was very cool. And it's, so it's interesting to look at the play of color and sex and race throughout time and how that has played out throughout
1: time oh it's fascinating and I haven't done anything with the Aztecs yet but it's on the to-do list it's on the to-do list I'm working on a Korean saga now so it's on the to-do list and it's going to take place for the Korean saga it's going to take place in the Three Kingdoms era so that's even before the Joseon era which is really popular in K-dramas. I should probably tell your followers that I have a lot of interest. So so I, don't try to put me in a box because that box will not fit. <laughs>
0: so. and that's how I am sometimes, but that's exciting. So definitely ping me when you start working on your Aztec romance.
1: Oh, for sure. You just went on the index card to people to ping. So I'm <laughs> that's excited. Awesome.
0: Okay. So you have a Harlan King coming out. You have Faith-Based Romance, but you have 40 titles. So what, and you say you're going to have K-drama K coming or you're working on that? Yes, yeah, so I'm
1: working on that now. I'm, I'm in the research stage now because I, of course, got, I, I um, have a network of people I can reach out to. So I reached out to a professor of Korean history, talked to him. Then he sent me some things to read. So I'm in the reading process to get more of an idea of what's going on. That's where I am right now. And I love to read. Reading will never be boring for me, except if it's taxes. I don't want to reach out taxes. no. <laughs> No taxes, Trisha. No taxes.
0: Are you a fan of Lisa C? Do you like her historical novel? I mean, they're mostly about women. They're not as much about romance as about women, but I love reading her book. She does a lot of Asian historical work. You know,
1: I haven't her read her, but it sounds like someone to put on the list. But I really do stick stick to a lot of romance. I do read a lot of different books for my own podcast, but Uh, But generally speak to romance, because I just love romance. I've been reading romance since I was a little girl, when I found my first Harlequin at 14 years old under my cousin's bed. And (laughs) I remember that day vividly, because I was looking for something to read. And I fell on the floor and I said, Oh, there's a book here. I just pick this up you know and I started reading it and I said oh my gosh what on earth are they doing you know <laughs> so, and I knew my mom would kill me so I would uh, I read it upstairs and that's how I got into romance before then I read Stephen King so I had uh horror it, actually my very first book I wrote was a Christian horror story and uh, I thought I was going to just cave into the market and create a new genre find out there were people writing that so <laughs> but um and I don't really talk about it because it's my very first book and if I can avoid people (laughs) reading it I'm I'm totally fine with that my mom god bless her she goes it's your best book ever I know mom I know (laughs) moms are great for that that's what we need them for right (laughs) they believe everything you write even the the little picture from 19 you know 82 that's still on the kitchen oh it's your best one yeah like thanks mom (laughs) That's so sweet. Can, tell us,
0: so you're about, you're researching K-drama. And tell us, tell me more about that because I don't know that much about that genre.
1: So if you like K-drama, K-drama really emphasizes the Korean culture through a lot of different storytelling. And they're very hot right now as far as entertainment. If you've seen um, Squid Game, That's not K-drama, but if you've seen Squid Game, if you've seen uh, Moon Embracing the Sun, that's a historical K-drama. There's so many of them and they're short series. So you may have upwards of 16, maybe 20 episodes. If it's really popular, it can keep going on. And K-dramas are really unique because they have really great storylines and the actors really embody their characters to the point where you go this guy is real <laughs> even though he's a character and they have great storylines and lots of cultural things that you learn and i like going watching k dramas too because i want to learn korean i grew up with japanese and i was into anime so i took japanese for 4 years and I still like anime, but I love K-dramas and um, C-dramas for that matter, which is Chinese dramas. They got Thai dramas, you know, but I particularly love K-dramas and K-dramas are really, really hot right now as entertainment. If you want to see one that was really popular that I liked, there's one called Moon Embracing the Sun. That's like my favorite historical one at this time. And then for a contemporary one that has a fantasy element to it, you want to watch Goblin so just to our listeners you just want to watch a show moon embracing the sun i think had 20 episodes and goblin i believe had 20 i may have that off but oh i loved it i absolutely love those shows
0: i'm writing them down because i i'm looking for the next um thing to watch because i was just
1: well, they're not weekend, current.
0: I had a weekend of um, ironing and chores and cleaning my house, so I always watch and listen while I'm doing that thing.
1: Oh, yeah, but they're, they're I like them. They're not current, because I think Goblin came out back in 20, what, 2016, 2017, and Moon Embracing the Sun is even further back, but... When I got into K-dramas, those were the, oh, and if you want to see a paranormal one, the one that really got me into K-dramas, you want to watch The Master Sun, and that sun spelled S-U-N. That was a ghost one, uh, but it was so good. I loved it, and there's so many. I could keep going on and on and on, but I won't do that because, you know, there's other things to talk about, <laughs> but yeah.
0: How did you get into writing? What started? I mean, you said you've been a reader for forever, it sounds like. How did you start writing? You you talked about a a little bit about your first book, but what made you like push the button or pull the plug, as to say?
1: I am one of those people who have been blessed to know that I would always be a writer. There was no doubt in my mind that that would ever happen. And I give credit credit to my grandmother who taught me how to read and to write so there is no memory of where I wasn't reading or writing what I didn't know is that I would be the type of writer I am now at the time I thought I would be a horror writer because I grew up reading Stephen King and my mom didn't like me reading Stephen King so I had to hide his books too so because she was like no don't read all that scary stuff so A lot of that has to do with that. And my grandmother was into horror, too. We used to watch horror movies with Granny. And so I grew up watching Alien, Predators, which is my two favorite entertainment franchises. And so that also helps me with my writing, too. So I'll be there writing a romance scene while behind me, (laughs) someone's getting their head pulled off or something (laughs) like that. So it's very eclectic. But when I took myself seriously, when my that's the thing that stops someone from being a hobbyist to be an actual writer is when you take yourself seriously. I had lost my job in 2010 and I was working with an ancient artifact called a five and a half floppy disk. And it's an ancient artifact from the Roman empire. (laughs) And what happened, I had my first book on that disk and I said, I'm tired of seeing you on this disk. I want you out there in the world. I want people to read you. And during that time, I was approached by a vanity press and I coughed up three grand to have my book published. And I did that. I will never, ever recommend that, but it at least got the ball starting. And now, 12 years later, I am where I am now. So I tell aspiring authors out there, if you don't take the first leap, you never know where you will end up.
0: I think that's so true and so poignant. Yes, like it does take a leap of courage and faith in yourself, I guess. And um, but definitely courage to push that first button, to to finish the first manuscript, to send it to an editor, to you know hold your breath while you get those edits back and how many red lines are on the page. Um, and you're right, your your work does continue to improve over time.
1: It does take courage, though, Trisha. I like that you said that. Think about it. As an author, you have poured yourself into this book. You know every word what the characters think. And then you're going to say, here, world, here's my child. Isn't she lovely? And you are open to people saying, I hate this kid. That kid looks ugly. (laughs) (laughs) And then you're told you can't go out and defend your child. You just have to, what, suck it up and develop a tough skin. Think about how many movies we've seen that we hated. Like one movie that everyone liked that I hated was Kill Bill. I hated that movie, right? I did not get what the big deal was. But other people are like, oh, that's such a good movie. I said, in what world is that a good movie, (laughs) right? But you don't see the producers of the movie coming at me with swords ready to kill me. They just have to suck it up because entertainment is subjective, just like reading is subjective. What you may think is the best thing since sliced bread, someone else goes, (laughs) nah. right? And here's the thing. You have now gotten the courage to open your book child to that type of scrutiny, to that type of feedback. That takes a lot of courage. The very first time I got a critical review of my first book, I was out for three days. I was out. I was just, you know, down in the mountain Dew and marshmallows. And I had a typewriter at the time, nearly threw the typewriter out the window because I couldn't do it anymore. Three days I was out. Now it's more so like, oh, well, that's their personal opinion. But it takes time to get there. So it is a lot of courage to do that.
0: Yeah, definitely so. This is one favorite question I love to ask my authors. What do you, and you have a lot of books, So I don't know if you can say one overarching theme. What do you want your readers to get or experience from reading your book?
1: I want readers to enjoy the story as much as they can. And when they get to the twist or the climax, I want them to say, wow, I did not see that coming. And I had a reviewer recently say, Parker is the queen of the twist. <laughs> and what she means by that is that it's already there, but you don't see it until the twist is revealed. And I hope I get better at that. But I do want my readers to enjoy the story. I hope they learn something. And I hope they will keep following me as my writing career changes.
0: Yeah, I think when you, in and I don't even know what the word for it, when you infuse, that's a pretty good word, your books with, a type of writing that brings the reader in and helps them really be in the character and feel what the character's feeling and then be in their world and learn something about those worlds and maybe take it somewhere else, that, that knowledge somewhere else. And that's when your readers become your super fans and become sort of like one with you almost because they are your reader. Right. And you talk about um, people that may not like your book. Well, they're, they're not, your reader. <laughs> They're not the perfect reader Ops. for your book. So
1: it's interesting you say that. I had a reader tell me recently, about a couple of months ago, she said I have seen you grow as a writer and it was the most beautiful compliment I could have ever received because I thought I was doing that. And one thing that happens to writers, the more they continue to write is that your life experience is going to color your writing. For example, I lost my grandmother November 5th of 2021. Now, anyone who's followed me online, I shared her for years on Facebook and that was A change in reality for me. All of a sudden, the woman who had always been there wasn't there. And what happened is that I took all the pain from that passing and I put into a match for Bernadette. So in the beginning of the book, her second mother is dying. And it's not a spoiler because it's the first chapter. And I didn't realize until I read it, I said, oh my gosh, this is me and granny. (laughs) And I didn't realize I had done it. And someone said, wow, you did a really good job um, evoking that grief. I said, because I have now experienced that grief. And I've been around people who have passed away, but not someone who was an integral part of making me the person that I am today. So as writers, one of the things that helps you write is to experience life. And I say that in a way, because so many people who are writing today, they're simply trying to write better stories of what's already out there. But when you experience life, when you have a life experience, that's going to color your writing. So instead of watching a video about the mountains, go see the mountains, go see them. Because being in front of that majesty, and that rock, seeing a sunset, that's going to change how you view sunsets. And that's just something really small. Imagine experiencing losing a job and being the sole caretaker of your home. Imagine that. How would your character feel now if they experienced that? Not that I want you to lose your job or anything like that, but having life experience will help you become a better writer. Go ahead and live life. Live life. Don't live it behind the screen. Live it out there around people. Risk knowing people. Risk relationships. People are worth knowing, but they can also hurt you. And I can see the the lure and the attraction of just having a virtual presence. But people are worth knowing. Some of the best people out there who know you the best are often the closest to you, and they have the capability of hurting you the most. But, and the same token, they are the best people to have in your corner. So experience relationships, not just the virtual ones. Experience going out, having dinner, going out to the part experience that that's going to color your writing
0: that's interesting yeah and we're so great oh i'm grateful now that at least we've come through that mostly the 2021s um and are able to get back out and be with people in our tribes and do that again
1: yes i went crazy trisha i don't know i was going insane i'm an extrovert so not being around people i was banging my head into a wall <laughs> so uh i actually made up an errand when i saw a little kid outside during 2020 i made up an errand and went outside the car i was like hi how are you and he's like who's this freak you know because <laughs> so, his ball had fallen and he he lived next door at the time and I said hi how's it going how's your mom he's like she's fine okay I'm gonna go <laughs> you know but yeah I was so desperate to talk to anyone at that time
0: but yeah I'm I'm more introverted so when you say go out meet people talk to people I'm like okay I could do that for five minutes now I need to come back inside
1: <laughs> my poor extra my poor introvert writers I understand I did not Get what it's like to be an introvert, but I did a podcast about it because I wanted to know. And introverts have told me the energy it takes to be around people, it can be often draining. So you got to get psyched up. Okay, I'm going to meet people today. All right, we're going to meet people. Come on. Come on. You can do it, Tricia. Come on. Meeting people. Meeting people. It's kind of like you have your boxing gloves on in front of a punching bag. And you're like, okay, we're going to get punched the bag. And you hit the bag, it doesn't even move. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, because it's like for as much as I love events like Wild Dudwood Reads, um, I love meeting people. I love hearing the stories. I love talking about books and writing and all of that. But when I'm done at five, four or five o'clock or whatever like I'm going back in my room I'm ordering pizza and I'm like staying under the covers for six more hours so I can go back out and do it the next day so you know yes. what it
1: is though Trisha. one of the newer ideas about introverts and extroverts is that introverts give off energy that's why extroverts are so um drawn to that because you're giving off the energy and we feed off that energy we take it all in you know if you think about it
0: interesting I hadn't heard it described that way um but I'm definitely spending energy it's always fun um but yeah I do spend lots of energy but that's okay that's that's just kind of how I realized that I'm wired so I go back in my cave and I get my more energy and then I come back out again
1: because think about it, it's draining, right? But if I'm around it, I gain more and more. I get very excited and I get hyper. And I'm like, just give me more, give me more, give me more. And you're like, I can't. Go away, PJ. Go away. I can't do it anymore. You've drained me dry. So Yeah. So that's just some way to look at it.
0: Interesting. Well, fun, fun. It has been so great talking about your book. Tell us again, like your most recent and uh, upcoming titles and where we can find you.
1: So my most recent book is called A Chance for Genevieve, and it is part of the Last Chance Bride series, which is a spinoff of a mail-order groom series called Blizzard Brides, so I'd love to get your ideas about that. Now, if you'll- Bear with me for a minute, Tricia. I got to tell you about my newest release that's coming out end of this month in August. It's called The Butler's Daughter. And it is book two of that book I mentioned to you about The Butcher's Daughter, which takes place during the antebellum with free people of color. This one's called The Butler's Daughter. And I'm really excited about it, but I'm also nervous because I'm writing differently. And I tend to write things a certain way but this book is calling me to branch out. (laughs) And I'm not used to branching out. So I'm learning that sometimes the story has to be told a certain way. And you have to obey that story because you want that story to be told to the best of its ability. So it's called The Butler's Daughter. It will be out at the end of this month. And I hope readers enjoy it so it's called the butler's daughter can you give us a preview of how you're changing are you going from first person to third person or it's more so the storytelling aspect usually when I write a romance I follow the formula that the hero and the heroine meet at the beginning of the book because the book's really centered around them in this one I can't do that because my main character is dealing with a lot of flaws And you have to understand her because she's a little bit, she has a little bit of an elitist attitude (laughs) and she's beautiful. She's also something of a rebel because she's a courtesan. And as a courtesan, she's deliberately deciding to be this way. And so you are wondering why is she doing that? And you have to know that story in order to know how her love interest is going to affect her. And my love interest, the guy who's her love interest, guess what? He has amnesia.. Ooh. And when she finds him later on in the story, he can't really tell her much about himself. But then you find out that he's a threat to her, but he can't remember how. So there's all these really interesting things happening into the story, and I've never written one like that. I've never written one with um where that they didn't meet in the beginning. Or if they do meet in the beginning they come up later it's not as straightforward as i would like it to be for a romance but that's okay it's okay and the other thing is that i have multiple povs and i prefer to keep those povs limited but for this story i can't because they're all going to collide at a certain point and you need to see the collision you need to see the debris from the explosion when they collide so that's what makes it different for me. And I say that purposely for our listeners out there who are aspiring authors, don't be afraid to do something different with your writing. Don't get into such a rut that you say, well, I have to do this. I have to do this. Go ahead and experiment. That's the best part about writing.
0: Yeah, it sounds like you're
1: creating a lot of suspense in that. So yeah, I'm intrigued. I hope it comes off well. I'm still working on the book and I'm a pressure writer, Trisha. So if I have a deadline, it forces me to write. If I don't have a deadline, I don't write. So everything's always pressure cooker for me. And I hate it because sometimes I don't meet my deadlines at all. And then I'm up apologizing to the readers and they want to string me <laughs> somewhere. And all that good stuff. But it keeps me going. Oh, can I just say one more thing, Tricia? Of course, you can say lots more things. Oh. Really quickly, for those authors who are looking for, like, inspiration, what I do, too, is that I buy the covers of my books first, if I know what they're going to be, and this is why. I say, I bought this cover, now I have to use it. It just can't stay here in the corner, not making a dime, okay? (laughs) So, that may encourage you to say, I bought this cover, this cover, let's say, costs $200, I've paid a lot more for covers, but I don't want to scare anyone. (laughs) So let's say the cover costs $200. Now you want to at least say, I want to make my return on investment back. I want to at least make $200 from this book. So are you going to let that cover that you spent $200 just sit there? Or are you going to invest into that cover, give it a story? get it po- polished as much as you possibly can and then sit it out there and then start working toward that goal. So that's just something for those aspiring authors out there who may need a financial consideration to get their book going. I have done that before too. I've seen a cover that
0: I loved and created a story around it. So I know, I know how that works. And Yes.
1: Um. Yeah. If you want to get in contact with me, all you have to do is go to parkerjcole.com. All my social media links are there and I'd love to hear from you.
0: Oh, well, great. Thank you so much for being here, Parker. And all your links will be in the description of the podcast along with your bio and where to find you. So I can't wait for your next release and your Harlequin release in September and seeing you again next year at Deadwood. Although I'm sure we'll run across each other before then.
1: Thank you so much. I really enjoyed myself today.
0: Take care. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Finding the Magic podcast. I'm your host, author and podcaster, Tricia Copeland, and I love getting behind the scenes. If you like the podcast, make sure to subscribe and stop in each week, discover new authors and books. Thanks for listening. And until next time, keep finding the magic.